Today we continue uh, our series of messages of the church's core values. Um, Now, like the previous two, the first one being Jesus Christ, the head of the church and central to all that we do, and the second one being the Holy Spirit who empowers us for ministry and develops our character, today's core value is foundational to our existence as a church. It is foundational to our function, and it's, it's foundational to our effectiveness as well. Our core value, which is core value number three, is the Bible. The Bible, it says God's infallible word and the final authority in all matters of faith and conduct. I'm going to read that one more time. I would encourage you to memorize these core values as well. They are great reminders. The Bible, God's infallible word and final authority in all matters of faith and conduct. So let's open in a word of prayer and let's look at this foundational core value as we look at the Bible, which I've titled The Authority of the Church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we are given this privilege to gather here as your people because of what your Son, the Lord Jesus, has done for us. We thank you that in his sacrifice we have received life. We thank you that in his resurrection our security is definite. And Father, we thank you so much that your spirit indwells within each of us who have trusted in Christ, who will be our teacher and minister to our hearts and lead us into all truth. We pray now that you will teach us. We pray that you will give us attentive hearts. And Lord, that this will be an encounter with you, not with information, not with facts, but with you, our King, our Lord, and our Master. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, holding authority, having authority is stating that you have the right to carry out or carry through on various decisions made on behalf of someone or something. For example, the authority that a parent has for their child, the authority that a policeman has over various situations in life. The authority that a doctor has for the medical health and well-being of a patient. The word authority is defined as the power to determine, adjudicate, or otherwise settle issues or disputes. Jurisdiction or the right to control, command, or determine. That's what the word authority means. Now, we willingly submit to various forms of authority. Throughout history, there have been rebellions against abusers of that authority. We've also had in history great examples of authority done right. But the reality remains that all of us experience authority in some way, shape, or form. We give authority or submit to the authority of our governments. We submit to the authority of the road rules. We submit to the authority of our family members, our parents, our aunties and uncles. We submit to our teachers. We have authority all around us. But specifically in relation to the core value today, specifically in relation to the church, we have been graciously given by God an authority in which we are to conduct ourselves. It is the governing standard by which we as a church and we as individuals are to live. And that authority is the Bible. The authority is the word of God. 
Now, I want to say a couple of things here that could be considered controversial by some Christians today regarding the church. But I want you to hear them out before you pass your judgment. And if you disagree, come and talk to me afterwards. Let's, let's not throw down. Let's have a discussion. Let's talk about it. But here's one thing. The church, the church is not a democracy where the majority decides the direction of the church's goals purposes or her existence okay just hold on to that for now the church is not a democracy where the majority decides the direction of the church's goals or its purposes or her existence two the church is not a dictatorship where the leaders make decisions separate from all accountability of anyone else isolated in an unapproachable ivory tower Two things that, if you study church history, have occurred over and over and over again. So one, church is not a democracy. Two, church is not a dictatorship or a tyranny. You see, the greatest combatant against both those things, the greatest combatant about the extremes of being a solely man-focused appeals-type church or to the other extreme where there's the the personal self-proclaimed megalomania of leadership is for us to recognize and willingly come under the sole authority of God's word. That's what governs the direction of the church. That's what governs the leaders and the members within which is why it's so important that for me as a pastor, for us as a leadership, we encourage you to read this, to spend time in the Word, because this is the governing authority for how we are to conduct ourselves. This is the governing authority about the direction of where this church goes. This is the governing authority of how we, as the bride of Christ, are to appear, are to fall in line with. Thus, for us to submit willingly to the authority of the Bible as a church and as individuals begins with us, like we've done over the last two weeks when we looked at Jesus Christ at the head of the church, when we looked at the Holy Spirit, the power of the church. Today, we look at the Holy Bible, the authority of the church. And so we're going to look at first, I've only got two points for you today, which you know is only going to be 45 minutes long. We're going to look at two points today, the first being the Bible, God's Word. Now, there are some basic facts that we need to look at when we have these scriptures in our hands. And can I please encourage you, if you have your, you'll notice, I haven't been having slides for this series, okay? I'm just going to reiterate this. I haven't been having slides for this series, as well as for people at home. I haven't been having slides. The reason being is because I want you to be in this. And if you're on this on your phone, please don't look at your social media or anything like that. Actually, I, I prefer personally to have pages. This is something that I learned personally, okay? I, I, wanna, I don't want a, a bit of a tangent. Something I learned personally. I found that when I actually flick through pages looking for a Bible verse, I find I remember it better. To actually physically go, oh, what's that Bible verse again? Proverbs 3, 4, I need to go to that. Oh, what's that verse again? When I look at my, my quick search on my phone, I get lazy. Your mind gets lazy. And you just let your phone do your thinking for you. 
You let your phone do your searching for you. Actually take the Bible, God's authority in your hands, the physical pages, and flick through it. And I've just and I've noticed, I've noticed I retain a lot more. I remember where the verses are. I remember what I'm looking for. I know where it's okay, that's where it is. And once you find it, and actually God uses that and cements it within your heart. So I encourage you to do that. Sorry, slight distraction. Okay. So I can give you some basic facts about the Bible. That it's a collection of books that vary in different styles of writing. There are books of prophecy, there are books of history, there are books of aspects of moral commands, of of teaching, there are historical biographies when you look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels. You have books that are songs and poems, you have books that are, well not even books, you have letters, you have teaching, and you have books of wisdom. It was written over 1,600 years with over 40 different authors from all types of backgrounds. You have people that were kings and people that were slaves. You have people that were shepherds and people that were statesmen, all from different walks of life, all from different mindsets, all from different eras. And yet, and yet, by the grace and goodness and power of God, we have before us now this book or collection of books that is entirely applicable to our context now in the 21st century than it was for them way back when they wrote it thousands of years ago. Even though they wrote it for their specific situation, even though they wrote it for their particular context, it is still just as applicable for you and I today. I mean, the amazing uniqueness of the truths that are within. The Bible is more, though, than just a book of facts. The Bible is more than just a book of prophecies. It's more than a book of moral conduct or divine teaching. Now, for those of you who don't know this Bible verse, look to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, one of the most popular verses in relation to what the Word of God is. And we read this, For the Word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul, sorry, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Look at the first sentence. The word of God is alive and active. The King James Version translate that is quick, which means to make alive, and powerful. The Word of God is quick and powerful. And Tim Keller, who's one of my favorite preachers, he actually asks the question, why why is the Word of God described in such a way? And this is his quote. Listen very carefully to this. In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. It doesn't say God said, let there be light, and then he went and did it. See, if you say, let there be light, then you have to do something about it. Screw in a light bulb, or at the least, flick a switch. When God says it, he does it. You see, his word is his deed, because his word is his power. His word is power. It is through his word his power operates, and that means it is through his word, and only through his word, that his power starts to operate in your life. His word is power. And the only way that power 
is action by the Holy Spirit within our lives is through and from his word. It is why this church bases its foundational relational core values on these three things. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the word of God. The head of the church, the power of the church, and the authority of the church. And that's why we look at the Bible as God's infallible word. That word infallible means this. Absolutely trustworthy. Absolutely sure. Unfailing in effectiveness. Unfailing in operation. Exempt from liability to error. Definitions that not only reflect accurately the nature of God's word, but also the nature of God himself. Think about this for a second. When an artist pours themselves into a piece of artwork, I just realized because I don't have slides, I can walk over here now, can't I? When an, when a, when an artist pours themselves into, into an artwork for the pleasure of you looking at when you look at it, you see this artwork and you see a little bit of what they're like. When a chef pours themselves into providing a meal that pleases the senses of the person that they're serving, it's a reflection of what they're like. It shows what they're like and how they see things. So too with the Word of God. Because we read what God is like because of what we have in the Scriptures. We see how God is absolutely trustworthy, how our God is absolutely sure, how God is unfailing in effectiveness, that he is unfailing in operation, that he is exempt from any liability to error because he is perfect in every single way, morally, spiritually, ethically, every single way. Our God is perfect as reflected in the Bible, in the Word of God. We read that he is light and in him dwells no darkness at all, according to 1 John 1.5. And if he is light, if he is faithful, within whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turnings, that speaks about in James 1.17, then what he sends forth from himself will be of the same nature, trustworthy, unfailing, exempt from error. The Lord Jesus communicates this. The Holy Spirit reveals this, and the Word of God confirms this. This is the reality that establishes the Bible above any book of literature. That is beyond a record of, it's beyond a record of history. It is beyond a collection of poetry. It is God's word. It is alive by which his power is demonstrated and comes forth to us. For example, in Romans 10, 17, what do we read? What the word of God does? It grants you faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It is how such faith then grows, even a newborn faith, according to 1 Peter 2.2. 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. Why? That you might grow thereby. It is the way we hide in our heart 
It is what we hide in our heart that warns us from sin. If you look at Psalm 119, verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's a weapon of our warfare because it's called the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 6, 17. It is which we can stand assured, the word upon which we can stand assured. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, what do we read? That the promises of God, the promises of, word, of his word are yes and amen. We read that the word is the way in which sin is revealed. I had not known sin unless the law said what? You shall not covet. In Romans chapter 7, verse 7. You see, the word of God can break the proud and defiant, and yet also at the same time bring healing to the broken and the contrite. It is law to the proud and grace to the humble. Such is the nature of God's word. And it is this word, the God-breathed, inspired word of God that is profitable for teaching, rebuke, correction, and training in righteousness that we are to bring our lives as individuals and as a church in line with, not the other way around. We need to bring our lives in line with the authority of God's word, not have God's word try to sort of mold around what I want to do. It doesn't work that way. God's word, God's word that judges, God's word that comforts, God's word that strengthens, God's word that convicts, God's word that lasts. I mean, the fact that God's word has outlasted every critic, every critique, and every criticism that has been thrown against it for the past thousands and thousands of millennia, that it shows the truths of Jesus Christ's words in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. This book, God's word, which is known as, I've got another list for you. Not as many as last week, not as many, but here's another one. Another list. This book, God's word, known as the book of the law in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 26. Known as the gospel of Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation, according to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. The holy scriptures in Romans chapter 1, verse 2. The law of the Lord, which is perfect, converting the soul in Psalm 19, verse 7. Living words in Acts chapter 7, verse 38. The message of Christ in which we are to dwell richly in, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. The God-breathed scriptures, the inspired word of God, 2 Timothy 3, 16. The sacred scriptures, which is able to make you wise, 2 Timothy 3, 15. It is the scroll in Psalm 40, verse 7, the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 6, 17. It is the truth, the sanctifying truth, of John 17, 17. The word of God, Luke eleven twenty eight. The word of life, which we are to hold forth, Philippians 2, 16. And the words of the Lord in Psalm 12, 6. This is what you have in your hands or on your phones. Each one of these titles look at the greatness of who God is, the authority of what God's word has in every aspect of our lives. As the book of the law, as the sword of the spirit, as the holy scriptures, all of these aspects reflect the authority that God has in each aspect of our lives. Now you may say to yourself, yeah, Joe, 
I've heard all these things before. Yeah, Joe, I know it's God's word. Yeah, Joe, I know the promises that are held within. I know the biblical mandates that are held for me and for my family and for my home and for my church. I know all this. What I want you to tell me, Joe, well, you may not want me to tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. What you may want me to tell me, Joe, is how does that then benefit me? How does that or what does that then do for my life? Well, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to look at the benefit. The benefit. Here we go. For you and I to reap the rewards or experience the benefits of all the promises in Scripture, everyone catch this. We must first be willing to submit to the authority of God's Word in each of our lives. That's how it's done. That's that's as simple as that. Actually, not just to Scripture, but more importantly, to the one to whom Scripture points us. You see, to obey the Scriptures for the sole purpose of being blessed reveals that you have a totally distorted vision of your relationship with Jesus. One doesn't enter into a relationship with the intended purpose of looking at what you can do for me or what I can take away from this relationship. One doesn't enter into a relationship like that. Or if one does, then some serious questions need to be asked of you and the way you view relationships. You see, God in all his omniscience knows everything about us. He knows every hair on our head. He knows our weaknesses and our desires. He knows every thought that passes through our minds. And everything that we hold in secret will be brought to light. He knows every aspect, the good and the bad about us. There is nothing hidden from our God. We, on the other hand, know nothing of him unless he himself chooses to reveal it to us. Now, we get a little of what he's like. We look at creation. We see his creativity and the beauty of a sunrise. We see his majesty on a starry night. We see his power in a thunderstorm. We see his magnificence in the faces of the people that are around us. But the best way that has been made available to us in order for us to know more of God the Father, of God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is in the Bible. It is in the Bible that I'm showing the extreme lengths of his love for us and where that love took him. For example, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8, we read this. Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. It is in the Bible I am shown the greatness of this love, the extreme lengths that he went to. In, I'm sorry, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16a, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 1 John 4, 16 says this, and we know and rely on the, the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. 
we learn what he delights in. Jeremiah 9.24, we know that he is the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. And we also learn what he doesn't delight in. Do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? That's from Ezekiel 18, verse 23. I'm told what he is like. Exodus 33, 19 looks at his mercy and compassion. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Psalm 99, 3 says he's great and awesome. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. We read in Psalm 116, verse 5, the Lord is gracious and righteous. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26, we read how he is holy. You are to be, sorry, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. Now, I give you all of this information, not to sit there and so you have something to look at later on. This is, this is my my personal soapbox, okay? I actually use this term. I was talking about it uh, yesterday with the guys at the men's ministry barbecue. But I, on, on Friday, we had scripture seminars at the school. And I used the phrase, do you guys know what a soapbox is? Now, all these, all these young kids were like, uh, it's a boat box for soap. And I said, yeah, now, Ryan, I said, a, a personal soapbox is the boxes that people would have in which they would stand. It was the platform on which people would stand where they then would promote their particular thing, that which was really important to them. They'd stand on it, and then they'd blow it out and say, this is what I'm talking about, bang, bang, bang. Apparently, outside the art museum in Sydney, um, Bruce was telling me they've been doing it for decades. People have like five or six soapboxes, and you could walk around and listen to what you want to listen to. So if somebody's talking about the Bible, they're like, oh, I don't like that, and go to the next one. Oh, I like what this guy's talking about. Okay, so this is my personal soapbox, okay, when it comes to the scriptures. I shared all of these things with you is that when it comes to the Scriptures, when we read the Bible, it is the means by which we discover, grow in knowledge of, grow in knowledge of, should I say, and can be transformed by our meeting with Him. The Scriptures, I've always said this, years and years I've said this, the Scriptures direct us to a person. The scriptures reveal the intimacy of his love for you. The scriptures tell me what he is like, what he desires, how he works, the way he works, and what he is doing. Whenever we spend our time in the Bible, it is not about me just reading words in a page. It's not about me just getting my daily quota done. It's not about me sitting there and easing my own conscience. It is about me meeting with the creator of the universe one-on-one where he ministers to my heart and tells me specifically what he is doing through the scriptures. This is my soapbox. This, I wish we could see how privileged we are to have this in our hands where we can get to know him, where we get to hear his heartbeat, where we get to see his hand work, where we get to see the miraculous take place and know that the miraculous that took place in here is the same miraculous power that takes place in our lives right now. That's what the scriptures are. That's how it benefits me. Because it introduces me to him. Where he speaks to me personally. That's why. And yet we, we have been so caught up with reaching quotas or easing consciences or going through motions that we're the ones that miss out. That if we're not willing to bring our lives under the authority of this, we're the ones that miss out. 
It is in this that we encounter the genuine, authentic experience of being with Jesus. That's what I love about this. And in being with Jesus, discover the willing submission to his leading, the willing submission to his authority, the willing submission to his power. John Stott says this, the modern world detests authority but worships relevance. Our Christian conviction is that the Bible has both authority and relevance and that the secret of both is Jesus Christ. The secret of both, the secret of authority and the secret of relevance in life is found in a person, in the person of Jesus Christ. And right there is where our benefit lies. Right there is where we can know personally and intimately and lovingly the moving of God, the God who rejoices over us with singing, according to Zephaniah 3.17, where we can look and discover the heartbeat of God, how he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, according to 2 Peter 3, verse 8 where we can read and see how he loves us with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31 verse 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Where we read how he holds us up with everlasting arms. Deuteronomy 33 27. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. And all of this love and grace and mercy is shown to us in Christ, the greatest of all mercies. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, listen to this. It's a beautiful passage. For this reason, he, Jesus, had to be made like them or like us, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. We learn this heart, this person within the scriptures. So when he, the creator of the universe, gives to me his word that is power, his word that is authority on earth as it is in heaven, and says by this word that I shall conduct myself in a particular way, then I better listen up. Then I better pay attention, because ultimately, as I shared before, I'm the one that misses out. 1 Peter 5.3, we are told that the commands of God are not burdensome. They are not a burden to us. They are not there to weigh us down. They are there to liberate us. They are there for us to experience the fullness of life. It is not a burden. In King James, it says that the commandments of God are not grievous. They are not there to make you sad. They are not there to sit there and say, I want you to miss out. No, they are there for you to experience the fullness of life. He doesn't want us to miss out. As I shared last week in John chapter 16, when the Lord Jesus says, I have more I want to show you, or I have more to tell you, but, I, but you can't bear it right now. So that's what he wants to do. He wants to impart more truth so we can experience more abundance of him. That's what he desires. Now, let me, let me, let me sort of 
sum this up in, when it worked in, in, a, in a sort of bit of an illustration, okay? I've purchased a new car, which, funnily enough, I have. Well, I didn't, but the church blessed us. Thank you very much. Very appreciative of that. Okay? And with this, new, with this new purchase, while having a fair idea of how things are done in relation to this new vehicle, I, I, I know the car is used for transport because that's what it's designed for. I drive safely in accordance with the road rules because that's what I'm supposed to do, and I maintain to the best of my ability so I can get the most of the vehicle. So when an issue does arise with it, which it will, I will take it to a trusted specialist and on their expertise and knowledge, or in other words, on their authority, take heed to what they have to say regarding the issue of the car and their solution to take care of it. And I have no issue with that. I do have a really good mechanic. I take it to him. He says, this is what's wrong with the vehicle. This is what needs to be done to be fixed. This is how it's to be maintained. And I'm like, okay. And I have no issue with that. I trust his authority because he knows about that vehicle that is far beyond my knowledge. And because he knows, I'll accept his authority and I will submit to that so I can get the car up and running again. So, and we do this in life. It, it might be a mechanic for a car, it might be a plumber for drainage, it might be a builder for your house. So then why does it come when it confronts me? Why then do I find it difficult to submit myself to the authority of God as revealed to me in the scriptures? When he knows how life is to be lived because he created it. When he knows how life is to be conducted because he set it in place. Why then, when he asks of me to do various things, I sit there and say, no, I'm going to do what I want to do, as opposed to submitting to his authority and his direction for my life. It's not like if the mechanic says to me, well, you need to do this, because if you do, the engine's going to fall out, and I go, no, nah, I don't think I will. I'll think I'll carry on driving the car how I want, and if it happens, it happens. No, I don't do that, do I? It's like being told that I've got a terminal disease and say, well, this is the medicine that will help. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really like needles, so I'm not going to inject myself with the medicine. I'll, uh, I'll rub it on the spot that hurts. You don't do that. If we're not willing to do things and trust the authority that other people have in our lives on various situations, then the wisest the, the most understandable thing that you and I can do to benefit us in our Christian lives is to what? Is to take heed to the Word of God. Is to submit to the authority of the Word of God. The Word of God that can never be taken away or is never to be taken away or added to. The Word of God that is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God that is able to divide the soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, that is able to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, the sooner we, by the power of the Spirit, bring our lives in line with the Word of God, encountering the Lord Jesus as He reveals Himself in the Scriptures, the better off we'll be, for we will enjoy the benefits of knowing Jesus. That's the charge. That's the conviction. That's the core value that we as a church are to abide by. And so I would encourage you that you and I would have our perceptions changed when it comes to being in the Scriptures. Our perceptions change when it comes to be 
under the power and leading of the Holy Spirit that our perceptions would change as we look to Jesus Christ, the head of the church, and central to all we do. I'm reading the book at the moment, and there was one line I really liked. And it, I think, it, it, I want to encourage you with this. It helps in regards, when it comes to being within the scriptures, this guy named Richard Foster said this, reading the Bible places us before God. Reading the Bible places us in his presence. It doesn't give us brownie points with him. It merely places us there for us to enjoy him. And I pray that you will enjoy your time with him as you spend time in his word, the authority of the church. So I'm going to pray. As I pray, can I ask the music team to come up again, please? Thank you very much. And then I'll, I'll close in a closing prayer after that. Uh, bow your heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we thank you. Thank you for the authority of the church, the word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword, that is able to divide the soul and spirit, that is able to divide the joints and marrow, that is able to discern the thoughts and intents of our hearts. I pray that we as your people will submit to the authority of your word in each of our lives, the word that has given us an insight into your heart, the word that has given us an insight into your workings within each of our lives, how it reveals to us who you are and all your greatness and all your majesty and all your goodness and all your grace. I pray you may help us to change our perceptions as to how we view not only the scriptures, but how we view you, our God and our Savior. So we ask now that you will stir within our hearts a hunger and a thirst as a deer pants for water. May our souls long after you so that we can only be satisfied because we have spent time in your presence, dwelt in the power of your spirit and spent time in your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.